Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father and our God, we are thankful that we can bow again before you, knowing that you are a God that has loved us everlastingly, that you are the one who called us while we were yet in our sins and redeemed us and pardoned all of our sins. What a wonderful truth that is for us to meditate upon as we worship you this day knowing that you have forgiven us, that you have remembered our sins no more, that you have given us the righteousness of Christ so that we are accepted in your sight, so that we might worship you in truth and spirit. We pray that you would teach us today as we continue to think upon the words of Christ as he has commanded us and told us to forgive for we are forgiven. We pray that we would have greater understanding of that truth today, that if we are truly a child of God, then we have the ability within us to be able to forgive those who offend us. We thank you, Father, that your spirit guides us into your truth, gives us understanding so that we might rightly apply it to our life, and we pray that that would be true of our lives this day as we hear your truth, that we would apply it in a manner that's pleasing to you so that we would become more like Christ. We pray, Father, for our church that we would be used of you to reach those who need Christ, that we would have a true concern for the lost and that we would be faithful in sharing the gospel. Use us, Father, to reach this community, to reach this state, to reach this nation. We thank you, Father, for using us in many different ways as far as missions is concerned. We thank you for your abounding grace and mercy in moving our people to meet this need with African Pastors Conference in this vehicle. We give you all the praise for what you chose to do in that situation. And we continue to pray, Father, for that ministry there in Africa that many pastors would be reached with the truth. We thank you for the commitment of those who serve on that team. We thank you for the past conference, even this past week. How wonderful it is to hear the testimonies of those pastors who have been changed as a result of hearing the word of God proclaimed to them. We pray that you would continue to use the missionaries that we support and others, Father, to proclaim the gospel throughout the world. We thank you for being able to be a part of that ministry. We also pray, Father, for those who are unable to be with us this day. You know their reasons and their needs. Pray that you'd minister to them and bring them back to us soon so that they might gather together to worship with us. Pray that all that would be said and done this day would be pleasing to you and that you would bring those who need to know Christ to Christ so that they might be your children and worship you faithfully. It's in Christ's name that we pray and for his sake. Amen. Take your Bibles and turn again with me back to Matthew chapter 6. We will pick up where we left off all the way back in November and we will read verse 14 and 15. Right after the Lord's prayer, Jesus said these words, for if you forgive men their trespasses, 
your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. The Lord's Prayer is right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, as we have seen. I believe that stresses how important the Lord's Prayer is for us. I cannot stress enough how important prayer is. And until Christ's church begins to pray in the manner that God has called us to pray and be faithful in that manner of praying, we will not see an awakening take place in the church or in this nation. It's interesting how God is able to bring people to their knees so quickly. Last week, we were able to observe this as an NFL game was played and millions were being entertained by that game. Then immediately, they were all faced with the possibility of a death of one of the players. Many who had probably never prayed in their life quickly fell to their knees and began to pray for Damar Hammond, Hamlet. Why do people act like that? Why do they behave like that? I mean, they never addressed God before, but all of a sudden when they see someone laying on the ground, possibly dead, they fall on their knees. People are dying every day. If you work in a hospital, you observe that. So why is a single football player so noteworthy? These superior athletes were crying and upset. But were any of them weeping over their sins against a holy God? I hope we've learned one thing, at least from the Lord's Prayer that not all so-called prayer is real prayer to the true and living God. Because, see, there's conditions. I hope we have learned as we've looked at the Lord's Prayer that there's conditions. God does not hear the prayer of a lost person except the prayer of repentance and confession. It's just words. It's, it's babbling. God hears the prayers of his children, as we have seen. And there's only one true God who hears those prayers. But he only hears those when they are brought to him in the manner that he has commanded us to bring those prayers to him. Our prayers are to follow this model prayer, this outline that God has given us through his son, Jesus Christ. And he hears those prayers and is pleased with those prayers. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we cannot go to God immediately with an urgency. When there is some kind of crisis, we can go to him immediately. We, we don't have to sit here and say, okay, now what was that model prayer? What is that outline? I need to follow it to make God sure that God hears this emergency. No, we can cry out to him immediately if we're his children. It's a wonderful blessing that we have and that we can know that without a doubt that God wants us to cry out to him when there's a need in our life. 
Now, immediately following the Lord's Prayer, Jesus again stresses the importance of forgiveness. We've already addressed it in verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It's interesting that Jesus repeats there in verse 14 and 15 these words in a different way, but more or less he's saying the same thing to us. And these words are often given very little attention, verses 14 and 15, even dismissed. Uh, it's amazing as many commentators and preachers that I looked at, how many didn't preach on these two verses. They kind of added them to verse 12. But since Jesus brought them up again, it seems like they're important. I mean, it's the only petition that he stresses a second time. So it must be very important. So we must see it as an important appendix to which Jesus is teaching us about the conclusion of prayer. This is the only one, as I've mentioned, that he singles out. And that in itself seems to show its significance, doesn't it? I mean, Jesus knows our tendency to dismiss that which is painful to the flesh. And, believe it or not, forgiving others sometimes can be painful to the flesh. It can be distasteful to us. Forgiveness can be one of the most difficult things that we as Christians do. When someone offends us, we're not quick to forgive them. That's our flesh. That's our sin nature that riles up. I mean, when someone offends us, immediately what enters into your mind? How can I get back at them? Right? Now, let's be honest. That's what enters into our mind most of the time. We're guilty of thinking, who in the world do you think you are to offend me like that, to treat me like that? Listen to what Matthew Henry says. Christ came into the world as the great peacemaker, not only to reconcile us to God, but to reconcile us to one another. And in this, we must comply with him. It is a great assumption or of dangerous consequence for anyone to make, a, make light matter of that which Jesus stresses upon men. Men's passions must not frustrate God's word. And I think Matthew Henry is correct. We must be like Christ. We must seek peace. We must make sure that we do not give in to our flesh. So let us examine these two verses that deal with forgiveness and learn what God would have us to know that leads us to forgive others as we ought. First, what is the connection between our forgiving others and God forgiving us? Look what he says there in verse 14. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. It is easy to misunderstand verse 14 and think that you forgiving others in some way or another earns God's forgiveness. In other words, that God owes you 
somehow or another you are earning brownie points from God. No, that's not what it's saying. It's not saying that if we forgive, then God definitely has to forgive us. I hope by now you understand that you receive God's pardon for your sins only because of Christ's atonement. It's not anything that you do. It's what God has done. And only when you look to Christ alone are your sins forgiven. So therefore, you cannot earn forgiveness. You cannot merit forgiveness. That's not what he's saying. I mean, there's nothing you can do whatsoever to earn God's grace, His pardoning of us. And therefore, as a result of God's grace, we must pardon others. And God clearly states that we should forgive others because He has forgiven us. In other words, it's simply our duty as a Christian. If you're a Christian, then it's your duty to forgive others. Martin Lloyd-Jones uses the parable of the unforgiven steward. Remember the one that owed so much money, a, a great sum, an enormous sum, and he was forgiven, but then he went in and he found the other servant that owed him just a couple of dollars, and he wouldn't forgive that guy, and he threw him in prison. And as a result, he uses that particular parable, and he says... The proof that you and I are forgiven is that we forgive others. Did you hear that? The proof that you're forgiven is that you're willing to forgive others. If we think our sins are forgiven by God and we refuse to forgive somebody else, we are making a mistake. We have never been forgiven. Did you hear that? If you refuse to forgive someone else, he's saying you then have never been forgiven. The man who knows he has been forgiven only in and through the shed blood of Christ is the man who must forgive others. He cannot help himself. If we really know Christ as our Savior, our hearts are broken and cannot be hard, and we cannot refuse forgiveness. If you are refusing forgiveness to anybody, I suggest that you have never been forgiven. Those are strong words, but I believe they're biblical words pertaining to what Jesus says here, as well as in the parable that he mentions. See, we are to be imitators of God, not vice versa. God is not to imitate us. We are to imitate God. And that's good. I mean, He doesn't imitate us in forgiveness, and that's good. If He imitated us in forgiveness, we would be in big trouble, folks, wouldn't we? I mean, for our forgiveness is often what? Conditional depending on how the person responds to us, right? When God declares in Isaiah, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heaven are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God is clearly making a point about His difference between you and him. This passage specifically refers to, as in verse 7 of that passage, which precedes that verse, abundant pardon, abundant grace. See, we need to be like God in forgiving. 
How is God in forgiving? Well, we read it this morning in our scripture reading there in Psalms 103. He says, I will remember your sins no more. I will remove your sins as far as the east is from the west. I will cast your sins into the depths of the sea. All of these point to what? That they're gone. They're removed. They're forgotten. Now, of course, we know God doesn't forget anything. But what he's saying, you can relate to what I'm saying. You know what forgot means. In other words, I will remember them no more. I will never use them against you because of what Christ has done for you. So, oh, that we would be like God when it comes to forgiving someone. Instead, what do we do? We store it in the back of our mind, right? We save it. And if that person ever crosses me again, we bring it up. We're not like God. I mean, it happens a lot of times, sad to say, in marriage. I mean, we get in an argument about something, and what do we do? We go back and bring up something that was supposed to be forgiven, supposed to be done away with. They bring out the pistol, we bring out the cannon. We want to blow each other away, don't we? I mean, we don't act like God. We act like, sad to say, Satan. And we must repent of that. Now, these words don't imply superiority. As though our actions precede God's actions. I mean, He is the first cause in everything. I mean, the only way that we can truly forgive is if we have experienced God's forgiveness, what Jesus is saying. First, He enables us to forgive in a biblical manner. And it's sad that many Christians deny that God is the first agent, that God is sovereign. That God is the one that moves upon us first. And they begin to argue trying to say, well, man has free will. He can, he can reject God and, and he can do as he please and he doesn't have to listen to God. Well, I don't see that in Scripture. I see that when God gets ready to move, man fails. He falls down on his face. I mean, Paul had his mind set on doing what? That he was going to catch every Christian he could and imprison them and put them to death on that Damascus road. We see that our Lord had the upper hand and quickly humbled Paul. And he does the same thing in our life. Think of the life of Zacchaeus, that tax collector who was stealing from people and, and being a typical, you could say, tax collector of that day. I think they haven't changed very much into our day, but anyway, we won't go there. But then he met Jesus. And Jesus told him, said, I'm going to go home today with you. Children, you remember that little song? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He climbed up into a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. You remember that song? Did Miss Luanda teach you that in Sunday school? I think she may have. But anyway, he wants to see the Lord. And he did. He not only saw him with his physical eyes, but he went home with him and he met him spiritually. 
And what happened? When he met him spiritually, his life was completely changed. And what was the first thing he wanted to do? He wanted to let others know that. He wanted to express to them that he had done them wrong. He wanted them to forgive him. And therefore, he sought to restore what he had stolen from them. So he revealed that he was a changed man, that he had been forgiven by God, and now he wanted them to forgive him as well. Listen to what A.W. Pink says about this. In all acts of love of God, first, his mercy to us is the cause of our mercy to others. Now, Will anybody object to that? That His mercy to us is the cause of our mercy to others. In the great parable of forgiveness, which forms the best commentary on these verses now before us, God giving us is the motive of our forgiving others. I forgave thee all the debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I have had pity on thee? The Apostle Paul exhorted Christians with these words in Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. So again, there's our example. As God has forgiven us, we are to forgive others. We must keep that in mind. Now second, these words are a stern test of one's discipleship. Who is a disciple? Well, we are to examine ourselves, as Paul says, to see if we're a disciple, if we're a follower of Christ. And this separates the sheep from the goat, the tares from the wheat. And both exist in the visible church today as the Scripture teaches us. There are those who proclaim to be children of God who relish a spirit of revenge. Sad to say. Refusing to forgive those who's earned, uh, injured them. And they continue to be prideful. They continue to be arrogant. I've had people tell me, I will not forgive them. You do not understand what they did to me. And maybe I don't understand what they did to them, but I know one who does understand what was done to them. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, He understands what happened. God Himself understands it. I mean, He didn't catch God by surprise. Providentially, He allowed it to take place. So He understands and how does God address it? Well, God is the one that is addressing it. God is the one that says that we must forgive. See, unless our pride is broken by a sense of our sin, so that we are not only willing to forgive, but also rejoice in those opportunities to exercise loving kindness, as Paul says, which we ourselves have already received if we're a Christian. If we received His loving kindness, He's saying then we are to express loving kindness. So such an attitude reveals a true penitent heart which has received God's pardon, which has experienced grace. And Paul teaches if our prayers are to be accepted by God, we must lift up 
holy hands without wrath. So we're not to have wrath against our brothers or our sisters in Christ. Now stated, our forgiveness of others is a necessary qualification if we are to receive a continuing pottering from God. Do you see that you cannot separate the two is what Jesus is telling us. So divine forgiveness always presupposes our repentance. It is not given on that account, but it is inseparable. It's it's connected. And unless we forgive, we are in no moral condition to receive mercy. We have no scriptural warrant whatsoever to expect God to forgive us, God to pardon us if we refuse to pardon others. Our forgiveness of others is a sign that we have been pardoned by God. So if grace has changed us to where the Holy Spirit lives within us, then we will desire to be like our Redeemer who said, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You know, it's one thing to love your fellow Christian. But Jesus says, love your enemies. That's difficult. And he says, pray for those who persecute you. That seems impossible. And it is impossible unless the Spirit of God lives in you. Only by the Spirit of God are you able to love your enemies. And only by the Spirit of God are you able to pray for those who persecute you. Listen to what the godly Puritan Thomas Manton said. There is none so tender to others as they which have received mercy themselves. They know how gently God has dealt with them. See, when you realize how gently God has dealt with you, then you're able to deal gently with others. See, until we know how God has gently dealt with us, in other words, God didn't have to deal gently with us. God could have poured His wrath out on us. So when we begin to think about that and see how gently He has dealt with us, then we're more likely to deal gently with others. See, every time we seek forgiveness from God, it ought to remind us of our duty to be like Him, to forgive others, so that when we pray, forgive us our debt, we, as we forgive our debtors. Do you see that it's so hypocritical for anyone to seek forgiveness and not be willing to give forgiveness? Do you see that? I mean, how hypocritical people are if they seek forgiveness from God, but yet they're unwilling to give forgiveness. I mean, you can't read that parable of the unjust servant and not see that. I mean, you sit there and say, wow, how hypocritical. This guy was forgiven millions. And he turns around and jumps on this little man who owned him a couple of dollars. How wrong can a person be? Well, we've got to be careful. 
as we can act just like that. God showing us mercy must incline us to show others mercy. And it also gives us confidence in God's pardoning strength for us so that we're able to show God's mercy to others. Third, what does Jesus exactly mean when he says, for if you forgive men their trespasses? There's numerous words in in Scripture that speak of those offenses that we have toward God and our fellow man. I mean, Luke and his passage there in the Sermon on the Mount uses sin, harmonious. Matthew uses another Greek word here for trespasses. To trespass means to cross over. Sin means missing the mark, coming short. Another word that we see used in the Lord's Prayer is debt, which is used that we owe God and we haven't been able to pay God, so therefore we are in debt to Him. And then another word is iniquity, means to take that which is good and to twist it. So there's, there's numerous words that we could say for sin or, or for offenses against God and our fellow man. And all of these words have to do with how we treat others as well as God. It's been said that a northerner will attack you to your face while a southerner will smile at you and stab you in your back. Now that may sound a little harsh, and it may be a little harsh, but there's some truth in that. I've lived in the south most of my life. Well, let me rephrase that. All of my life I've I've visited outside of the south and had uh, northerners come and even northerners in our church. And uh, that, that's pretty true. Northerners, in other words, are straightforward. And I like that in one sense. But I don't like the smile and the stab in the back. And that happens a lot of times as well. I mean, Jesus is speaking about those who specifically have in some way sinned against you personally. He's speaking about holding a grudge or seeking revenge. It says, do not say, I will do to him just as he has done to me. I will render to the man according to his works. Proverbs 16.32 says, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Then Romans 12.21 Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Remember when David, King David, or he wasn't king at that time, Saul was king, and David had been appointed to be king, and Saul was trying to kill David. And there was this one occasion in a cave when David had the opportunity. He could have got rid of Saul. I mean, it was right there. And he didn't. And remember after Saul leaves the cave, David kind of waves to him and says, Hey Saul, kind of saying, you know, you were at my bidding and I could have put you under, six foot under. What did Saul say back to him? You are more righteous than I. 
For you have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. And he was right. But Saul continued in his way, sad to say. As Christians, we are required not only to refrain from seeking revenge, but actually to pardon those who have wronged us. Lay aside all manner of anger and hatred and exercise love toward our neighbor. Galatians 6.1 Remember, by nature, I'm no better than my offender. Paul says, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. See, if we have a genuine, or if we have genuinely been pardoned, the one who has injured us, we shall earnestly desire that God will pardon him too. Think of Stephen. Here he is, preaching the Word of God, hoping that these that he's preaching to will be converted. Instead of being converted, what do they do? Pick up stones and begin to stone him to death. And what does Stephen say? Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Truly, he was full of the Spirit. I mean, you can't do that unless you are full of the Spirit. But yet, that's what we are to be, full of the Spirit. This forgiveness must come from the heart, from a changed heart. I mean, think of Joseph, all that his brothers had done to him, and all those years that he spent being treated wrongly as a slave and put in prison and time and time again the things that happened to Joseph because of his brothers. And when Joseph's brothers submitted themselves to him, they were fearful because in their minds, what were they doing? Well, if I was in Joseph's place, I would get my brothers back. And that's what they thought. They thought that Joseph was going to act like they acted, right? Right? But he not only forgave their offenses, but, the Scripture tells us, comforted them and spoke kindly unto them. And he blessed them and brought them there to Egypt and gave them a place to live and fed them and took care of them. We must be ready to do unto those who hate us, as Luke 6 7 says, and as Matthew 5, 44 says, pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. Moses had a similar situation with Miriam. Remember Miriam and Aaron wanted to kind of take Moses down. What did God do? God gave her leprosy. 
What did Moses do? Did Moses, thank you, God, she deserved that. She stabbed me in the back. Thank you. No. Moses prayed for the Lord to forgive her and prayed that the Lord would heal her. I mean, how we need to pray for more grace that we may act like that. If we are to be gracious to others, we must be filled with the Spirit and have the grace of God. I think as A.W. Pink says, if we have to resort to human court for righting a wrong, it must not be in a spirit of malice but only for the glory of God and public good. So he's saying that there's nothing wrong if you have to go to court. And there's sometimes that you have to go to court to seek to right a wrong. And he's saying if you do it, if you go to court, then it must be done in a spirit, not of malice, but a spirit for the glory of God and the public good. In other words, there's sometimes that you have to go to court to set things right so that others know what is right, what is just, because we serve a God of justice. Now, some will take the passage where it says, do not take your brother to court. What is this implying there? Well, you need as Christians to settle things at court. You shouldn't have to go to court as Christians. But there are times that one is unwilling to follow that command of Scripture, and he has to then take his brother to court. So Paul is warning that it's not good to do it, but yet at the same time, just as Pink points out here, there's sometimes you have to do it for the glory of God and for the public good. So we do not have the power to forgive those who have sinned against God. We can't do that. Only God can bring that about. Or those who have sinned against God's law or against the law of the land. And we know that God's Word addresses those situations and we have to follow God's Word in those situations. In other words, if, if there's a murderer, you don't have the power to say, well, let that murderer go. I've forgiven him, so let him go. You can't do that. I mean, justice has to be carried out as well as other laws. Now, we are required to forgive offenders. Are we required to forgive them absolutely and unconditionally? what if they never express any repentance? Well, again, a holy God doesn't require us to condone evil or approve of their sin. But yet at the same time, we are to have a spirit of forgiveness. In other words, we must always be ready to forgive that individual when they come to the point of desiring forgiveness. And in one sense, you ought to already go ahead and forgive them because... Likewise, God forgave us, what? While we were yet sinners. But yet in no way are we to approve of their evil, of their sinfulness. So we have to be very careful in that particular situation. Now, Scripture teaches us, and Jesus is teaching clearly on this point. It's very crystal clear. First, we're told to seek out the offender. We're to seek them out privately. If somebody offends you, don't go to your brother, other brother. Go, go to the one that has offended you privately. And you go to them humbly, speaking to them, endeavoring to help 
them in this particular offense. They may not even have realized it. So first, they have to realize that they have committed a sin, and they've committed the sin against God as well as yourself. Matthew, I mean Luke 17, 3 and 4 says, Take heed of yourself. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in one day, seven times in a day returns to you and says, I repent, you shall forgive him. Now, I don't think that's ever happened. And Jesus is using a absurdity, I guess we could say here, to get a point across. I mean, I don't know if any of you, if you have had somebody, maybe, maybe a child, uh, when they're little, may come to you seven times asking mommy or daddy to forgive them. But I'm talking about adults, asking somebody to forgive them. Most people would be too embarrassed to come seven times. But what he's pointing out there is that how, that's how ready we should be to forgive someone if they repent. And you may say, well, it doesn't seem like it's real repentance. Well, Jesus is talking here about real repentance. Well, what if he gives no evidence of repentance? Well, you can't make him repent. That's a work of the Spirit. But even then, we must not have any malice in our heart, or we must not seek revenge. But we are also not to act as if there's nothing wrong with what they've done. So we are to pray for him and bear in mind what Scripture says, Matthew 7, 2. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, you will be measured back to you. In other words, if you flopped around, if it was you who had sinned seven times, what would you want your brother to do? Well, the same thing, you would want him to forgive you. So likewise, you should forgive. And we have to realize that God is a just God, and He sees to it that whoever... And whatever we sow, that we will reap. Now the same principle or the same truth is stated in Proverbs 21.13. Whoever shuts his ears to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be heard. So we see quite clearly what Jesus is saying there, or God is saying there in Proverbs 21.13. You're going to reap what you sow. And many earnest prayers are offered, as I've already mentioned, that never reach the ears of God. But why? Well, James tells us in James 2.13, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So he's saying if there's no mercy shown, if there's no mercy experienced, don't expect God to show you mercy. When a person experiences mercy, then he can... Expect to give mercy. Matthew Henry says, All the children of men in the last days will either be vessels of wrath or vessels of mercy. It concerns all to consider among which they shall be found. So in other words, what are you saying there? You need to examine. Are you a vessel of wrath or are you a vessel of mercy? Then he goes on and says, Let us remember what blessed are the mercy for they shall obtain mercy. So a person that is a vessel of wrath cannot expect mercy. Only those that are vessels of mercy. Now these two verses present a real test of discipleship. 
on the one hand, it shows that if you are merciful to others, you have obtained mercy. And on the other hand, it teaches if you have hatred against those who injure you, then the hypocrisy of your own Christian faith is exposed. We must diligently examine our hearts and test ourselves. Let me close with these questions. Do you secretly rejoice when you hear of any tragedy occurring on someone who has wronged you? If so, I certainly realize that you have not forgiven him. Second, do I retain in my memory the wrong suffered and rebuke the transgressor with it? Or assume he has repented and I willingly and anxious to do whatever I can to help him and promote his interest. See, it's abundantly clear from all that that God has pardoned our sins. And the reformation of our life go together. The only one we are able to forgive is the one that has been forgiven. See, the more our heart and our lives are regulated by a spirit like Christ, the clearer our evidence that we are new creatures in Christ. It's ridiculous for me to believe that I have received divine pardon, divine grace, if I refuse to forgive those who injure me. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying it's difficult. But by the Spirit living in us, we are able to forgive and forget what was done to us. We must remember that the flesh is weak, but the Spirit must be willing. There's also indwelling sin that remains in us that must be put to death. But if we honestly strive to remove bitterness and seek a disposition that is a godly disposition toward even our enemies, we are able to find comfort in God's grace. His love is infinitely superior to ours, but His love enables us to love others, even our enemies. Is that love in your life? Let us pray. Father, these are difficult words that we have looked at today, but we know that they are true words. So we come to you praying that you would make sure that they are alive in our life. Do not allow us to disregard them. Do not allow us to leave this place and forget them. But Father, drive them into our hearts. 
bring conviction to our life that if there's anyone that we have such feelings toward that are sinful feelings, that we would seek forgiveness from you and then forgiveness from them. For we know then we are Christ-like. Enable us, Father, by your Spirit. And if there is no power within us, Father, we pray that you would bring about the conversion, the changing of our hearts so that there might be this desire, that there might be this longing. Do that which only you can by your Spirit of changing hearts so that we might love you and that we might love our fellow man. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.